I'd like to focus on our, our first reading here from Ephesians. We're continuing to move through Ephesians. We've got a very beautiful text that talks about the sacramentality of marriage when St. Paul talks about uh, this passage from Genesis and the union between a husband and a wife being a great mystery. That word in Greek, uh, mysterion, its, its Latin translation is sacramentum or sacrament. Uh, so he's speaking about the sacramentality of marriage, that marriage is a sacrament in as much as it symbolizes or it, it uh, signifies something greater, an invisible um, uh, element of the faith, an invisible grace, and that is the grace of the love between Christ and the church. So Christian marriage, it embodies, it uh, it symbolizes and it places before the world the love of Christ and the church. Marriage is the foundation of the family and in the family there's an order. So, you know, there's a, a word that's used here, subordination, and this can be maybe interpreted in a in an overly strong sense. But if you think about the word itself, subordination, it has uh, the, the primary part of the word, it has to do with order. So in every family, there's an order. And uh, the husband, it's, um, that order can be likened to a body. So just like the church is likened to uh, a body, and Christ is the head of that body, so also every family is like a domestic church and there's an order to that domestic church and there's a head the husband's the head and uh, Pius XI Pope Pius XI taught a very beautiful metaphor that the the wife is the heart of the family so we have this we have this nice um, orderly arrangement that takes place and it, it embodies and it shadows forth the relationship between Christ and the church uh, John Paul II has a, a very nice reflection on this passage in his uh, Mulieris Dignitatum, which is a Latin term that means the dignity of women. So he wrote a very long um, magisterial document talking about women in the modern world. It's a very, very important topic. Uh, f- forever. Um, since the beginning of human history because of original sin, and we see this right in Genesis, um, uh, there has been the subjection of women in an in a unjust sense. And there's no doubt about it, human history is rife with that. Um, just biologically speaking, men are bigger and stronger than women. And because of the sinful tendencies of the human heart, power can be abused. So men throughout the ages have abused that power and have subjected women to unjust social structures and situations, uh, as well as children, and slavery as well. All of these things, um, the abuse of children, subjection of women uh, in an unjust manner, and unjust means and situations, slavery, this is all a result of sin, of original sin. And when Christ came, he came to heal the world of this kind of disorder, of this kind of sin. Uh, he came and he taught us a new way of living, a new way of relating to one another, a new way of organizing society. Have we listened to him? Uh, a little bit, 
but probably, but definitely not as much as we should. And there's a lot of work to do. So the the voice of women today with the, with the women's liberation movement, with feminism, their concerns um, are very valid. And there are really millennia of injustices on the part of men towards women uh, that need to be uh, redressed. And John Paul II, um, he says this. He says, note that St. Paul here speaks about the order that should be in the household, um, and there is a kind of an authority that the husband needs to exercise in the household, uh, but it is to be understood in the context of the first verse of this passage, which says, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a, that's a very deep and profound um, thought, if we can understand what's going on. So if Paul goes into the discussion about order within the, the household and he talks about subordination of wives to husbands, it's all to be understood in the broader context of being subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's a mutual subordination that husbands and wives exercise towards each other inasmuch as they're both equals in Christ. This is, this is the beautiful um, freedom and liberty that Christ came to give to humanity. And uh, John Paul II goes on, I'll read, this is a, this is a very great passage, I think. Um, it's very challenging. He says, However, the awareness that in marriage there is a mutual uh, subordination of the spouses out of, to one another out of reverence for Christ, and not just that of the wife to the husband, must gradually establish itself in hearts, consciences, behavior, and customs. So he's talking about a social effect. Um, Western civilization has been Christianized, no doubt about it. We're really in a kind of a post-Christian era. We're losing our Christianity very quickly. We have been for the past few hundred years, but especially the past hundred years, especially the past two generations. It's been speeding up. Um, but we can't stand by and let that happen. We as Christians need to continue to labor as citizens of our respective nations to maintain the Christian, the Christian ethos in our countries. And so John Paul II is saying this is a task. This idea of mutual subordination needs to establish itself in hearts, consciences, behaviors, and customs. This is a call which from that time onwards does not cease to challenge succeeding generations, meaning 2,000 years ago when, when St. Paul wrote his epistle. Um, it is a call which people have to accept ever anew. St. Paul not only wrote, In Christ Jesus there is no more man or woman, but he also wrote, There is no more, no more slave or freeman. Yet how many generations were needed for such a principle to be realized in the history of humanity through the abolition of slavery? Think about that. So Christianity came, and if you really understand the genius and the inner logic of Christianity, uh, a, social, a social structure that allows for slavery, it, it can't be, it's not Christian. But yet, <laughs> slavery existed, and it existed in the, in the New World, probably in the worst sort for hundreds of years. Uh, and even today, slavery exists throughout the world. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do. We have, in America, abolished it, but it doesn't mean there's other forms of slavery taking taking place. Uh, there's human trafficking. It's very wide, uh, and it's it's 
Actually, it's sex slavery. Very widespread practice in the world. Um, and so we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, and so also the, the feminist um, agenda, a large part of it is legitimate. There's a lot of um, valid insights and valid uh, grievances and complaints. Uh, it needs to be done in a Christian manner, though. And what I would say, this is an observation I'd have here. The, the issue of um, unjust um, subjection of women to, to men in general, to power structures that men have developed, um, <clears throat> it is an objectification of a human person is what's going on here. So instead of treating someone as a person, you're treating them as an object, and you're exercising a power over them that is unjust, and it, it reduces to a, a, a domination. So in domination, you, when, when one person dominates another, he, he treats the other person not as a person but as an object. Uh, but that's exactly what happens with lust. And I find it very telling that at the time, in America at least, uh, probably Europe as well, the women's liberation movement started getting up and going in the 60s and 70s. The rise of pornography exploded, exploded, and it's at... Um, horrendous proportions right now. Her absolutely horrendous proportions with the internet. So think about the paradox here. Right along with the women's liberation movement is an explosion of pornography, which is nothing less than the, uh, the objectification of women to the lust of men. There can be no true liberation of women. There can be no true feminism as long as we countenance uh, in our personal lives, but even in society, pornography. It needs to be eradicated. There will be no true women's liberation as long as there's pornography. So my brothers and sisters, we um, shouldn't be offended at the feminist movement, but we need to understand what a true uh, Christian version of feminism should be, what its concerns should be, it should be about treating other people, men and women, especially women who have been unjustly um, uh, subjected to men throughout ages, uh, as persons and not as objects. And that begins by a liberation that takes place in our hearts, uh, a liberation that frees us from lust, liberation that frees us from the tendency to dominate. And um, instead of that, those, those evil tendencies, what reigns in our hearts is love and service to one another. And I think that's what St. Paul is speaking about in our text today.